Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 20. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. All right, here we are, Thanksgiving episode. Short week of work because hopefully we are thankful for the time that we will get off and hang out with our friends, talk politics, of course, around the table, eat the turkey, have the pie, cranberry sauce, with or without. Um, well, how do you feel about cranberry sauce? I think it's, I, I don't know. I'm torn. Jessica, my wife, has shown me ways to make a proper at-the-meal, at-the-table sandwich with the meal. Cranberry sauce is involved. I'm a big fan of sandwiches, mini sandwiches especially. Wherever we go, I like to cut up the bread or the rolls and make mini sandwiches because there's mini sandwiches, right? They're just delightful. <clears throat> what do you like to eat? I, my, my favorite is uh, the next day. A lot of people will say that too. How do you make your next day turkey sandwiches? I do like the, the turkey. I like mayo, some salt, and melt some cheese on top and then put it on the bread that's left over. That's my go-to. I dig that. What do you do? Tell me. At the Operator Podcast. At the Operator Podcast. You can go to Admikuya. You'll hear me mention that over and over, but they, they get restricted because I say stuff that they don't like, which I call the truth. But uh, tell me about what you're thankful for and about your favorite part of the meal. Is it the after? Tell me about your after the meal. Like, do you have, you can have sandwiches after the meal too, because most of us eat early. I don't know why, but football's on. Eat, nap, wake up, eat again. Tell me how you make your sandwich. I want to hear about it. I'm dying. But Thanksgiving is here, which means winter is almost here. I think it's December 21st this year, but it's getting cold up there. So it is time to get warm, but look cool. So I need to tell you what I'm also thankful for. My friends at American Giant. Ladies and gents, check out their collection of everything. Chore jackets, they're dope as hell. I love them. Sweats and sweatshirts. And my personal favorite is the full zip hoodie. It is winter ready, heavyweight, extreme high quality gear. From fleece to sweats, everything is made in America, which means you are getting high-quality stuff and you're supporting the communities around. I immediately love the weight, the strong zipper of my full zip. I'm going to mention that over and over. It's durable. Um, it even had the new cart smell when I pulled it out. Uh, the attention to detail is very obvious. It may, it's made by someone that cares right here in the United States. And it's going to make Christmas shopping very easy for me because speaking of family, my family lives in Montana. It gets cold up there. They are getting a lot of American Giant stuff. It's, it's really badass stuff. Take a look at the American Giant website. The full zip hoodie that started it all, that's my favorite. But the sweaters feel like your best uh, sweatshirts, comfortable selling. Ladies, the classic full zip. Go get it. But the wide leg pants are awesome. Everything is perfect for winter. It'll have you warm or it'll have you hot, comfortable, and cool. They're simple, classic denim, all kinds of great stuff. Made in America. Do not forget that. Keeps that high quality and it supports the communities that created it. It's the kind of difference you can feel and appreciate for years to come. So find your winter wardrobe at American-Giant.com. American-Giant.com. You'll get 20% off your first order when you use code THEOPERATOR. At checkout. At checkout, use the operator, 20% off. 20% off your first order at American Giant.com. Promo code the operator. Get one of those full zip hoodies. I'm telling you, you won't believe it. Made in America. Total high quality. You'll love it. Also, something to give thanks for is uh, taking care of yourself and your family. And I need to tell you this you got to stop sending money to big insurance companies that profit off of not paying your bills. Did you know 
that 48 million claims on Obamacare last year were denied. That's one in five claims are going to get rejected. Do you want to take that chance? Health insurance sucks. It's confusing, it's expensive, and it's frustrating. There is a better way. Welcome to the alternative. Crowd Health was created to get rid of headaches that come with health insurance. For $175 for an individual or $575 for a family of four or more, you'll get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of an emergency. You'll also get telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and more. All of this without doctors' networks getting in the way. Let Crowd Health help you with your health care needs. You can get started today. Get a load of this for just $99 per month for the first three months when you use code THEOPERATOR to get the health care you deserve. Crowd Health is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, code the operator. Get it going today. Take care of yourself and your family. Hey, now, welcome back to the Operator Podcast. This is episode 73, and it is uh, the Thanksgiving episode. It is Wednesday, but we you know, wanted to get it out today. Hopefully, you're driving somewhere, and you can listen to this and tell me what you think of said podcast and what you are thankful for. We will take those. What you're doing as an operator for Thanksgiving, what you're thankful for, I will tell you what I'm thankful for, things like that. Uh, I am thankful to start this off with um, our good friends at Instagram who have not over-restricted the Operator Podcast, so make sure you go to at the Operator Podcast for most of your queries because that one is not restricted yet. At Makuya is restricted. You, you should be able to see it. You might not be able to see it. At Makuya, I do look at that one several times a day and will answer but at the operator podcast is the one i want to build uh my lovely wife jessica sent out a tweet because we did talk about um the letter to america that osama bin laden wrote and that all the gen zers are seeing because they don't know history and they're acting like they just saw it now someone did something funny with uh uh, it was like an OnlyFans type thing for Bin Laden where, you know, Osama Bin Laden, which I think is, I mean, hey, fuck it. Don't ever lose your sense of humor. I'm, I would say that too. I, I don't know if I told you this. Um, after we killed Bin Laden, uh, we were intercepting some, tra- I may have told you this. We were intercepting some traffic and, and Al Qaeda actually made a joke. Um, one guy, one terrorist, terrorist A was saying, uh, who turned him in? And terrorist B said, uh, he turned himself in. And terrorist A said, why would he turn himself in? And the other guy goes, well, wouldn't it make sense to turn yourself in? Um, he was living in the same house with three wives for five years. He, wa- they wa- he wanted himself dead, which I probably screwed up the punchline. But I do not speak Arabic. I'm assuming you do not speak Arabic. But Al-Qaeda never lost their sense of humor. And they're probably going to need it when they start dealing with... Um, the Gen Zers from here because, and we talked about that last week. I don't feel like getting into that, but uh, at the Operator Podcast is the one to check. But at Jessica Lynn O'Neill too, it did get she got put on punishment. She got put in Instagram jail, in Meta jail. We would like to get her undone because I think she only posts about twice a year, and that was one she thought was funny. And apparently, it's not. She didn't lose her sense of humor, but uh, Meta does not. And they do look for us. They do get angry at us sometimes because a lot of shit they don't agree with. Um. Um, and they, you know, they own the platform, so whatever. I mean, they are suppressing speech like communists like to do, like fascists do, but I think it's a privately owned company. It's kind of up to them. I wish I could start my own, but I don't possess the capabilities. I told you I'm not creative enough to do a lot of things, so I don't have my own Nisrogram, uh, although we should. I would like to, but that's their thing. And, uh, you know, I, I tried the other ones too. Uh, uh, there was... There's a couple alternatives on social media. I am on Truth Social with uh, at Mikuya. Uh, does I don't seem to be getting the following that they are. Uh, remember, remember Parlor that was doing really well. And then uh, Microsoft and the others didn't care for them, uh, so they they shit can Parlor because they were a competition to people actually able to say stuff without getting punished. And I'm a big believer too that you should be. I mean. Freedom of speech does mean you sh- you should be able to say whatever you want. There 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 can be consequences, and I'm fine with that too. But just suppressing something is kind of like 
book burning or tearing down statues with a lot on the left, the social warriors who who complain about democracy, love to silence their their um, opposition, what they see as opposition. They don't see Hamas as an opposition. They don't see how bin Laden... And you got to figure Hamas and Al-Qaeda and uh, ISIS are all like the same dudes. There's, there's dudes in there in Hamas in the tunnels right now that were fighting with ISIS, alongside ISIS in Syria. These are not good people. But because of our lack of history, because the lack of telling... Um, teaching history, or our version of history, at least. Um, a lot of people kind of get misconstrued, and they, they got them all backwards, feeling like they're the victims and we're the oppressors. We, meaning people that are successful. They do pin that on Whitey quite a bit um, as a major oppressor. Um, that's, what, that's what they do. As f- they, and that, by they, I mean people who are trying to categorize us. I said it again last week. I don't, I don't feel like being a downtrodden, type person today i want to talk about fun stuff thanksgiving what we're thankful for and delicious food i don't want to get in the 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 past as far as thanksgiving goes from where it comes and what we're what we're celebrating and why and what we're celebrating that had nothing to do with the initial thanksgiving which is going to be fun to dig into that i've been i've been researching the hell out of that for the past weekend it's a blast just to just you gotta i tried to put myself in the shoes of the the people who came over on the mayflower and the other um the other ship that was going to come, but it didn't, from England over to uh, the New World, where other people had been, obviously. Uh, I don't know how they say Christopher Columbus discovered America when it's pretty obvious that Jesus was already an American. You know what I mean? But, uh, the, you know, there was already Spaniards and Italians and, uh, and French uh, in the New World, but the pilgrims came over here, and then they had a, they had a meal or two. And I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about um, the difference between history, because even I complain, even I, like I'm something special, I even complain about history that's taught and not taught, and along with free speech, I think we should be able to see every different perspective possible of both history and of the past. We've heard of different uh, people raising different sides of every argument, which I think is fair. Uh, they do talk about the Native Americans who were in California long before Europeans landed, be it in um, Plymouth or on accident in Cape Cod, which is how a lot of people end up in Cape Cod by accident. Although I love the beaches in Cape Cod and I did get married there. The beaches in Cape Cod are great in the summer. If you've not been, check it out. Um, I would stay like the, I, I got married at Chatham Bars Inn and there's a beach right there, uh, which is the Atlantic Ocean proper. And I would kind of avoid, I mean, there's a lot of sea lions up there, which brings a lot of great white sharks. And it's just, I don't, I love sharks and I don't think, I know we're not on the menu. I've, I've swum with sharks, which is a word, by the way, I have swum. It's a word. You can look it up. I have drunk before. <laughs> so many memories, but uh, um, swimming with sharks, you're, you're going to be fine. You're not on the menu, but there are certain times we recommend not swimming with sharks. One of the times is uh, when there's when they're feeding, when there's food and they're hunting, and especially when they're hunting in waters that are uh, not the best visibility. If a great white shark can see you, chances are he's not going to mess with you. And that's that's part of the reason I love the new technology with drones. A lot of drones now fly over beaches where there are sharks, and they get a good look at them. And there's so many great videos in clear water of even you know people getting their morning swim and a great white checking them out people on paddle boards great whites checking them out surfing great whites are right there even even uh there's some of great whites catching waves not you know they don't stand up on their tail because that would be too dope but uh in the water and whatnot but uh going back to getting to cape cod on accident uh, i when i do swim there i i will go on a shark appreciation swim which is out to the like not even a half mile buoy and back but in murky water the issue with big sharks and all sharks. One issue for for us, not for them, is they uh, they don't they don't have arms and hands. If they did, that would be fucking crazy. Imagine a shark coming up and like grabbing you and both hands and eating you like a big thing of corn. My shirt has corn on it, by the way. This is very festive for Thanksgiving. Corn. Um, but yeah, how they landed in Cape Cod and all that stuff, and how um, um, what I was getting at before is the different histories. There were people there. In Massachusetts, what is now Massachusetts before the Pilgrims got there, there were natives all up and down the coast, down in South um, South America, Central America. You know, people. There were people all over the place, and we all have our own history. And the history 
is uh, history is generally a narrative of um, hopefully after studying the past and trying to relate it to what we know now. So the historians will make a narrative like a story, try to report what they have read or been told down the down the line and um, try to make it relatable to what we do now. Uh, we'll try to reconstruct the past in the way that we can understand it. Because the way, for example, that the pilgrims lived and the way that the natives lived before the pilgrims got there and while the pilgrims got there, we didn't, we don't live that way now and we can't necessarily understand the day-to-day to them. Because our big issue is the Wi-Fi is not strong in my kitchen. Theirs was, I'm going to fucking starve. Or, I'm going to cross the Atlantic on the Mayflower. <laughs> and it wasn't as jolly as the books that we see in kindergarten and now, hopefully, or the uh, the very svelte, slick, corn-covered shirts and whatnot. There was, you know, there, people did di- different things at different times, and it was the sign of the time. I mean, go back. The, the past is the past. The past is what happened. And I'm talking everything. Everything that happened in the past is the past. But every person, the billions of people who were alive before and right now, and everything that they did, everything they cared about, everything they did to survive, the dude who invented the wheel, who invented gunpowder, who figured out how to displace water and make the Mayflower, the people who figured out fire. Everything back then is the past. Um, And a lot of stuff has um, been distinguished in the past. A lot of stuff is extinguished, um, extinct, if you will. Dinosaurs are in the past, but we need to uh, come up with narratives in order uh, to explain it to... to kind of explain to what a society, a culture, and how day-to-day was for people when they're based on whatever remains now that they've found. So, um, I mean, even right now when there's... I don't want to dig too deep into stuff, but when when they're talking about punishing people today, punishing the taxpayer today for something that happened a long, long time ago, I think that's stupid because that was the time and not everybody was involved with a lot of stuff. And there, I mean, I don't even think there should be apologies, let alone stuff like reparations to people because, I mean, none of us had anything to do with it. Um, And historians will admit that too, that uh, histories are incomplete, but they kind of know how to fill the void. So the past is the past. And history is how we try to see the past in order to for us to make have it make sense right now. Like if you personally, and I'm talking again just to you, every not everyone else, I'm talking to you. If you don't know how to go outside and build a shelter and build a fire and find a way to get water to a certain area to boil so that you don't drink it and then shit your life away... Um, you can't relate to people who came over on the Mayflower. Sorry. You know, they didn't come over here, land on Plymouth Rock, pop open the oven and throw in a fucking pumpkin pie. That's not how it went. But uh, people do try to, historians try to explain it that way. And, and again, with, I want to get into this too, because to me, history is fascinating. Because uh, the other sailors that came from different parts, everywhere from from the, the uh, over in the Med, the routes of trade, Asia, um, the people who were here before Columbus, um, the friggin the people, the, the, I mean, the, the slaves had stories, had families. And there's history there, too, that uh, probably hasn't been told, which, I, I mean, I, I would love to hear it without bias. Um, obviously, there were some assholes. I mean, it's 2023. We got assholes here. There were definitely assholes back then, too. But today, I'm going to get into the history as I know it. Like I said, I've been reading about Thanksgiving and the dinners and all that stuff. And I'm going to try to get into it to see what you think about it. I also want to talk about what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for you. The listeners to the Operator Podcast. I'm thankful for you telling your friends how kick-ass it is. I'm thankful for the person who made this corn shirt. I'm done talking about it. Uh, I am thankful that we don't live under Sharia law. I think that's going to be my big one this year. I think I might tweet that out. I am thankful that we don't live under Sharia law because speaking of the past and history and the definite difference, um, a lot of younger people haven't been taught the past. 
And so what they're what they're learning is instead of being taught the the uh, how they say it, history will repeat itself, which is true, and you're kind of seeing it now. Um, a lot of people here, especially in the United States, and then over in uh, over in parts of Europe, Europe's learning, though. But uh, in the United States, if we, we've we've been coddled. We 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 were born. We being born in the United States is a lot like winning the lottery. We were born here. It's a great place. But now we're raising people not to think that. And not only that, but we're we're teaching them to hate our country and hate our ancestors, and that everyone was bad. But also, we're letting our adversaries or enemies like China roll up an algorithm into software and a kick-ass app called TikTok that they know our kids will listen to. Because again, if if um, if you're not able to spend time with your kid and you just give them a screen at an early age, they're going to be subject to a lot of stuff that they probably shouldn't be seeing. And again, that's not my place to tell you how to raise your kids. And I know it's easy to give them a screen and do whatever. But I mean, back in the day, we had to hopefully find a, find a pile of dad's uh, um, nudie books, uh, smut mags in a locker or a bottom drawer, top drawer, whatever, someday, and hopefully find something, you know. But uh, now you can just find anything. It's all at your fingertips. So um, a lot of our adversaries know this is happening too, so they put stuff in these algorithms because you see funny shit, but they're sneaking stuff in there. It's like, you know, there's a lot of subliminal shit, a lot of normal shit to make you question whether or not your country is great. And this country is good. I just sent out a tweet recently saying, um, because I, I was watching the uh, Montana-Montana State football game. Not, it's not huge on the East Coast, really big in Montana, the brawl of the wild. And, um, you know, they're never going to win the national championship because they're not in, in the, the same, you know, league as Alabama, Georgia, stuff, stuff like that. But it's an it's the brawl of the wild. It's an interstate rivalry in Montana, and um, they played it. They played it in Missoula, Montana, which is a kick-ass stadium. It gets really cold there, and the Grizz faithful. It's Montana Grizzlies, the Grizz, and then the the Cats, the Montana State Bobcats. And like the Montana boys come out and they, you know, don't wear shirts and paint their stuff, and it gets cold as balls, and it's right by this mountain. And what one of the things we do out west is uh, put uh, in, I know in Butte, Montana, we have an M on a mountain right by Butte, Montana. There's another M uh, for um, uh, Montana at the University of Montana. I think they got them in Bozeman and different places too for the city. Uh, The M stands for Montana. I think in Butte, it stands for my dad can beat up your dad, something like that. But the the M is right above Washington Grizzly Stadium in Missoula, Montana. Cats played the Grizz for the Big Sky Conference Championship, and then the winner gets like a home field advantage through the playoffs. They have a playoff system in that brand of college football um, where it's like a tournament instead of here, the top four, whatever. Uh, But during the game, some people went up to the end. There's a walking, there's like two walking paths, one where you do switchbacks, one where you go straight up for the pipe hitters. Straight up to it. And during the game, I didn't see it, but I was told by people who were there because I do have peeps in Montana that some... uh, protesters went to the big M. So the M is white. It's a big white M. And uh, they, I guess they put up Palestinian flags and stuff like that in protest for uh, what's going on in in uh, the Middle East, Israel and Hamas. You've seen pictures. And uh, the thing about it in Montana, uh, Montana, not just the M, but as a state, Montana is as white as Megan Fox's teeth. So the people that went up there are a bunch of privileged uh, white kids that latched onto a cause they know nothing about and uh, covered the M and Palestinian flags to prove their point that they know everything, even though they don't. Uh, and they covered it. The, and and the, the tweet that I sent out the last week or the couple, couple days ago was, uh, if you love Hamas so much, just go over there and defend them. You know they need it because they're getting their asses kicked now, finally, by Israel. But if you're so pro Hamas, go go support them. They, they, you and your liberal views of the world, they'll they'll welcome you appropriately. It won't be nice, but it'll be appropriate for Sharia law. So if you're a white dude with purple hair, go over there, man. See if you can get. You know what? I don't. The, the Gaza Strip's a little hot right now, so maybe try the West Bank. And for those of you who don't know anything about it, the West Bank's on the east side of Israel. It's in a place called the Middle East where you've never been, I'm assuming. The college kids, of course. I'm, I think some of my listeners have been there. Anyway, start with Hezbollah first because they're not... Unless you really want to defend Hamas, then try to get into uh, the Gaza Strip, defend them, they'll welcome you. You won't last long, but that should be fun. So I am thankful on this Thanksgiving for a lot of things, but most importantly, I am thankful that we 
do not live under Sharia law yet. But speaking of living under religious law, we need to get to the the pilgrims, the original Mayflower, and uh, the people who were on it. When because the pilgrims on the Mayflower that came over, historically speaking, were re- looking for religious freedom, and that's true. But what they had done that before. So this, the, what the Puritans were is they were um, they were very very devout. They uh, one of their quotes to pray was to pour out the conceptions of a godly and devout mind under God. So live your life as God would want you to live it. They don't want you reading prayers out of a book. They don't think that's praying. Like when um, when we pray, we bow our heads and close our eyes. They would open their eyes and look up. And um, they, they would like pray before a meal, but not for it to, they, like they'd pray about the food and then they would pray after they ate the meal. You're going to find out whether or not God answered your prayer by not making you sick and dying of dysentery and things like that. So that was up to um, living up to God. And, and, to, and also with that, they didn't celebrate holidays. So they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. They didn't, they didn't celebrate uh, Christmas. They said that nowhere in the Bible does it say that December 25th is Jesus' birthday. They don't celebrate Easter. What they, they said there is one holy day, and that's the first day of every week, Sunday. And that is... Uh, the first day of every week was consecrated by Christ himself and his apostles to the memorial of Christ's resurrection. So their Easter is, uh, they do it 52 times a week every Sunday, and that's the day of rest. And don't, don't go working on a Sunday by any means. Um, so all other holy days, even when they got to the New World, because when, 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 when the Puritans came over, other pilgrims were also, uh, they called them strangers. They weren't Puritans. So when they came over, they would want to celebrate Christmas, but uh, the Puritans didn't want to do that. They were presumptuous innovations, with the way they called it. And the reason they were getting out of England, they, they thought that the Anglican Church uh, were too corrupt. The bishops were too corrupt in the Church of England, and they were treated like uh, princes. They lived like royalty and celebrities and shit like that. Um, and it was um, their... Basically, it was where you lived is whether or not you were in the church. Anyone was welcome in the Church of England, and they believe the church membership should be based on profession of faith and repentance, um, not where you live. Basically, just because you live here, you don't get to be um, one of them. And if you're in England, you're part of the Church of England, whether or not you're agnostic, atheist, blasphemer, or uh, a, a, a sinner, basically, you're you're welcome in that church. They didn't want to sub- uh, remain in submission to uh um, to a place where you could live in sin and not repent, basically. They saw it as uh, their sin and needed to get... It was their sin living there. They needed to get away because if they didn't, then... Um, pardon me with that little beep there. If they didn't, that would be an even bigger sin trying to live live there like that. So um, when they left, they they did sort of say they're going to go represent the new world, but they didn't really give a rip about the crown, but they they knew they would do they would be able to do that if, um, if and when, you know, they, they needed to dot a few I's and cross a few T's. But they didn't go to, they didn't leave England and go right to the New World. They actually went to Holland. Uh, and that's kind of funny because I'm, I'm reminded of um, Austin Powers, gold member, when he comes out as gold members. Like, hey, everybody, I'm from Holland. Isn't that weird? But they did go to Holland. They did go to Amsterdam. They remained there for an, a couple of years. But they were worried that... Uh, their offspring would eventually, like we talked about past and history, they're going to forget the past and do their history. And you got a bunch of young dudes living in Amsterdam, you know what's going to happen. So they decided uh, they were going to leave Holland. They, well, they, when they went they, when they went there, they had to learn Dutch too, and they didn't like freaky deaky Deutsch. Uh, they wanted to sort of, they wanted to maintain their English heritage, just not the, the um, they didn't want to stay a part of the Church of England. They wanted to remain, have English be their proper language or whatever. They basically thought uh, they didn't like Dutch, um, and they didn't want their descendants to become Dutch, and they certainly didn't want them a couple generations from now living in Amsterdam, going to Club Vandersex and all that stuff. They didn't like the culture. Um, their kids were were they were already starting off at a loss, so they uh, um, they didn't want them to have a casual disregard for Sundays, the Lord's Day of Sabbath, and um, so they left. They went back to England, and now we're going to go somewhere else. They had to negotiate deals. 
uh, everywhere to try to get uh, some contractors to Salem across the sea. You got to figure these are dudes that are going to go there and they're going to start a new a new life for their families and their congregation. So they had to get investors, and that's everything from dudes who said, okay, here's some money here, and you go over there, and when you send a ship back, we're going to want fish and furs, stuff like that. So they're going to fund it. And then what, do you, what are you going to do? Before, you know, you got you to raise money. You got to find a ship or ships in their case that they wanted to do. And then what are you going to bring with you? You got to build houses when you get over there. So you got to bring tools. You got to defend yourself. I think they brought six cannon, uh, enough stuff to eat. They uh, when they when they were about to sail too, they they realized the the you're not going to get water, and if you tried to bring it on, it's either salt water, which is going to dehydrate you, or it's infected water with bacteria is going to make you sick. So what they would do is uh, they would drink beer. Pretty kick ass trip across the Atlantic. Now, um, and uh, you know, and they actually had someone on board the Mayflower to limit your rations to one gallon of beer a day. And they're not drinking it like football's on because they're not watching football. They don't know what the fuck football is. And um, that's, I mean, that's going to be their their nourishment for everyone on board. The water's going to kill you and we're going to eat what we can and we're going to get on the uh, the Mayflower. But here's where you got to consider, this isn't like, like we see it now with a bunch of holly jolly people in nice clean clothes getting on a kick-ass ship and sailing over there while we got a casino on board screaming fever fucking five at the craps table stuff like that it's not happening like that they're these people are leaving everything they know and they're going to start a new colony and that i mean when i mentioned earlier if you can't build a wheel or a structure or a fire you're going somewhere where no one's ever i mean your folks your relatives have never been and they said they're they're leaving everything they know in europe and they agreed to do stuff like we're going to be fishermen and they didn't know how to fish. They'd never done it. So not only you, you leave, you're leaving everything you, you're leaving your culture and everything that you know to go somewhere to start a whole new life. And now you're negotiating with corrupt politicians, with corrupt uh, uh, members of royalty, investors and stuff with the other people that are going to go with you, selling stuff here, leaving that behind. Who are you going to – and the, the way that they did it too is they're not not like a lot of uh, adventurers and explorers where the young men would go and then send for their families. Entire families were getting on. This is like uh, um, the stuff you see in Old West movies on TV and like they're trying to cross the, the river with a piano and stuff like that. They're bringing everything they got and then we're going to go and we're going to stay. And so it was shady, and they're already, uh, you know, undercutting and side-dealing each other. Some people are saying, well, we're not going to get on the Mayflower uh, off the bat. And uh, so, you know, people are shifting. Puritans are staying. They're bringing on more strangers. There were the Puritans, and the strangers were normal <laughs> normal people. They were people that didn't agree with everything the Puritans did, and they're all going to go um, with the blessing of the crown because we're going we're gonna to support it over there. And um, hoo-yah-hey, easy day, I guess is what they're thinking was. So they're getting ready to take off, and they're going to go with the Mayflower and the Speedwell. That was a ship that was going to go with the Mayflower. And they actually tried to cross twice, two ships. They got all these uh, families and whatnot and crew and uh, supplies, if you will. Uh, They tried to cross twice. The furthest they made it, I think, was on the second try. They got about 200 miles out, which is a lot if you're sailing. And um, they had to turn back. There were leaks. They had leaks a couple different times, and they brought it back into port. They had um, inspections, and they realized it's actually a complete structural failure. Um, And that's odd with a ship back then because your only job as a sailing ship is to sail, but they were thinking it was probably sabotage again between the past and history can't be proven. But going back and forth to see loading ships, unloading ships, and crew, and then with the obvious arguments happening about who's going to go where – they're, they're still eating the supplies that they had there, all the rations that were meant for the new world. So they're starting to doubt whether they could build, a, you know, it's eating up food. You're also eating up valuable time. And like I mentioned, time is all we have. And you're not going to get it back. And they know the winter is coming. It's going to be in the United States. It's going to be in the new world, not the United States, not even the colonies yet. But what I'm getting at is morale was in the shit before they even left. Uh, so the Speedwell's gone, and they have only the Mayflower. And uh, they basically, they took as many as they could from the Speedwell, put them on the Mayflower. And so they're loading this bad boy up. It's about September 1620. 
And they're loading on a Sunday, which is odd for a lot of those people because they're so observant to the Holy Day, but they're loading there because they're running out of time. And um, they figured out they were their, their destination is going to be to Virginia. They're going to try to head the only other settlement from Europe to from England to survive was a colony in Jamestown, Virginia. And out of the original, I think, 3,600, like 3,000 of them were already dead. They were all followers of the Church of England, but they're going to head... The Mayflower is going to go to Virginia, uh, which obviously Jamestown was already there. Now, the oldest city in the United States now is uh, St. Augustine, which is founded by the Spanish, a Spanish admiral named Pedro Menendez. Uh, and uh, that was in 1565. Pedro Menendez de Aviles in 1565... And it was a capital of Spanish Florida for more than 200 years until it became Cuban Florida, as we all know it today. So the Mayflower was chartered, and they brought they brought on more strangers and more passengers from the Speedwell, and you know people were getting the itch to not go. So some were getting off Puritans, other strangers were getting on in their crew. People that are just work that are they're not even there for religious freedom; they're there to work because if they get to the New World, and they like I was mentioning, furs, fish, and tobacco are going to be profitable if you bring them back. But they charged every everybody on board three three grand. Uh, uh, there would be three grand today's wages. So every person owes $3,000 and agreed to build together. So you have a, a ship in the in the fight. So you have a reason. Once you get there, you got to help the community. You're not going to be able to just go off and do your own thing. So uh, they all hop onto this boat, this ship the Mayflower, but they have to have everything on there that they're bringing. So we're talking, yes, the crew, yes, the passengers, all the animals. So uh, you got goats and pigs and chickens, which are, I mean, if you can believe it, why you want to get past your chicken is if you've ever smelled uh, a chicken coop, they're the most horrifying. Anyway, they got all these chickens on there too that they're bringing. And this thing, this the Mayflower, according to a few different studies a few things from the past and historical evidence that i have read it was approximately 113 feet long so that is from the poop deck to the bow now i don't want you thinking i'm talking dirty over here getting all poopy on you the poop deck is a naval term that they used when they were sailing like this and that's um that is from a french word meaning the back the poop so it's the poop deck, which is right by the quarter deck. The poop deck, the quarter deck's right in front of it. The quarter deck is above the half deck. You steer from the quarter deck, the poop deck's the back. So anyway, neither here nor there. I'm not taking the chief's test. The poop deck to the bow of the ship, and the bow is the front, the stern is the rear. Aft, forward, bows up front, 113 feet long. So let's break this down. The Mayflower could fit in between home plate and second base. Okay, so that's the that's the ship. That's the uh, that's how long the ship is. The keel, which is the backbone of the ship, that's underwater, sixty four feet long. So th- the backbone of the ship and the keel helps it actually steer a little better in high seas. So that's sixty four pe- feet long. So we've got the entire ship, which is home plate to second home plate to the pitcher's mound, is going to be the keel, and it's twenty five feet wide, uh, and um, twenty five feet, man. <laughs> that's not very much uh and it's so it's a square rig it's got four masts small it's a it's a fall it's a small ship so it's got 102 passengers on this bad boy 18 married couples 35 children and teenagers um and it started out okay other than wasting all the time and eating all the food it started out okay but then they they had to strike the sail because gale force winds. It's the Atlantic. If you've never sailed across the Atlantic, it, I mean, nowadays it's a lot safer, obviously. But they had to like strike the sails, pull them down, let the wind take it where it may. And they were averaging, I think, two miles per hour with a half a mile visibility. So that's already dangerous. The seas are so bad, you don't want to. You don't want to. You can't go up top. You're going to get swept over. And most importantly, we're going to run out of beer. So you're living in, basically, here's why I'm trying to say Thanksgiving's important. So is it to know your past, know your history, and appreciate what a lot of these people did. They're living in quarters below deck about the size of a school bus. That's a lot of people. No privacy. 
no baths, no showers, just stink. And there were chickens and pigs and goats, and everyone's seasick. So just put your, have you ever been car sick for like four minutes? Have you ever been seasick for real? There are a few things worse than being seasick. So they're in there, seasick, in the stink. Um, the only thing that the, the Puritans, the only relief Puritans got from God is that they didn't get ravaged by a plague. So God saved them from disease, but you're in this spot. It stinks. You're with your friends. No privacy. Uh, you can't really move. And the, the strangers could play cards because you're allowed to play games, but you're not as a Puritan. As a, as a, what are they? Not to sins. What do they call it? What, it is Puritans. They don't play games. They don't play games. Um, and then like there's being served whatever they could, what kind of shitty fish It's cold. It stinks. The food's wet and filthy. You can't breathe. No privacy. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what they were, but they were called slop buckets. That's where you put your slop <laughs> and you can't go topside to throw it over until the, um, the seas are calm enough. And according to the, the captain's law, they were good at keeping logs, uh, 17 days into this horrible crossing of the, uh, I think elementary school would be a lot more fun if we actually drew pictures of the slop buckets and people cram pooping on each other, as opposed to the fun, like the little hand thing where you make the turkeys. Uh, but 17 days into this glorious cruise, uh, all the ships log said was that one of the members of the crew died in a desperate manner. That, I don't know what that... That already sounds desperate as it... Having a good day sounds desperate. This guy died a des- desperate manner, so they threw him over to the side. He was buried at sea. He's down in Davy Jones' locker, whatever is going on there. And like the ship's getting crushed. The crew's working hard together. They're trying to get people that they can to help them to know anything about anything. So they're grabbing different supplies meant to build the new world if they ever get there. Um, the ship's almost not seaworthy, but they're so far into they can't turn back. They, they get it up. Uh, the ship's working. They're, they're making way with what they can. They're not even halfway there. This is a long journey. And there's this dude. This is a really interesting um, part that I like. There's a dude named John Howland. Howland. John Howland. And he's down below, and he wants to get some fresh air. So he went up top when it's dark. I mean, because even... So it's dark on the ship the whole time because you can't see anything at all, and you don't have uh, instant-on lighting. I, the old IOL. Uh so it's dark, it's cold, it's nasty, scariest environment imaginable. I mean, imagine being like we get in fight over politics around the Thanksgiving dinner with family that we love, and we're only there for like an hour, an hour and a half. Imagine being in this uh ship, pooping on each other, talking politics. <laughs> anyway, John ha- John Howland was over it and he wanted to get some fresh air, so he went up top and he like according to the log, he took a nice deep breath of air and closed his eyes and kind of imagined he was somewhere other than here, and that actually happened for him. His wish was granted because he got swept over the side and into the damn sea. And uh, on it, I mean, you're not going to survive that. So on his way down, he like, grabbed a rope, and he was lucky that one of the seamen on the ship, seamen, one of the seamen on the ship was doing some shitty sail work or whatnot. Uh, he was skylarking in naval terms. Uh, and because of his bad sail uh, work, he was able, John Howland, who got thrown over the side, was able to grab onto a rope and hold on for dear, or maybe he got wrapped up in it, but he's over the side. You're not going to survive. The crew went to look for him and it's madness. They, they know they're not going to find anybody, but sure as shit, they found him. They snagged him with a boat hook, brought Howland up, uh, should have been dead. Crazy story. One that he can tell around, um, the table. And he did, I'm assuming because he survived that night and he actually ended up surviving for 50 more years. After that shit, and that's a badass story. I'm sure. I'm sure some people that watched him do it and survive called him full of shit. Because I'll be damned if we can have anyone have a cool story. But uh, he lived another fifty years. Here's the cool part. He ended up. Here's the cool part. He ended up having ten kids with his wife. I think her name was Elizabeth, and they had ten kids and eighty-eight grandchildren. So that's just awesome. The whole butterfly effect thing. To think that if the, he didn't, if that. If that one deck seaman didn't do a shitty job with the sails and leave a rope out when John Howland fell over and grabbed that and the crew found him, all those variables, pulled him up, boom, those eighty, those 10 kids would not be alive and neither would the 88 grandchildren. Here's the trippy part. Some of those descendants were two presidents, George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. So that's crazy to think about that right there. 
Then, about two months into this bad boy, uh, on November 6, 1620, it was getting a little calmer. It's November uh, in, near New England. They think they're going to Virginia, but they're not. But November 6, they saw seagulls. So there's seagulls out there. I mean, seagulls love the sea. You know why they call them seagulls, too, because if they were flying over the bay, they'd be bagels. But they see these seagulls a few days later. They hear the word land ho. After 66 days at sea, they finally reached Virginia. No, they didn't. They reached the northernmost point of Cape motherfucking Cod. There at Cape Cod, they were aiming for Virginia, which again, between the past and history, if they're that far off, doesn't say in the history books, but I was not really aware they actually let a woman drive. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm kidding about that. It, I, it's a you know the driving joke. A woman was not steering or driving the Mayflower. If a woman was driving the Mayflower, they probably would have hit an iceberg and landed in Newfoundland. But that's neither here nor there. They, they Okay, they were off course because of the sea because they weren't really ready for it and it wasn't good sailing that, back then. So I'm sorry for my horrible joke. Uh, but now, so now they're at Cape Cod. They're 220 miles north of where they wanted to go. Other destination, we're cutting in on, you know, it's November. We're going to look at some shitty weather. They want, they, they realize where they are. They're up near what would become Provincetown. They want to head south. They try to head south, but um, really bad weather and the shoals ma- made them, they needed to turn back. Cold as nuts. Um, and they're in a place where nobody explores in the winter. So they got to go back to where they thought they were. They were dreaming of gardens. But they get Massachusetts, which might be why they named it the Boston Garden. Who knows? But, uh, the issue was now that they're they try they sailed in inland a little bit too. They're trying to get to the mainland, and um, it's it's difficult to get the it's it's not that deep there in that water up near Mass. So they need to anchor a little bit, and they got to walk in like waist deep water. Sometimes up to a mile. You get off the Mayflower, you got to walk in a mile, uh, and that's just so you're you're miserable on this two month trip across the ocean, living in conditions that I, I mean I can't even get into because I don't they're, they're not documented that well, but it just really really sucked. I'm assuming the Wi-Fi was bad, uh, but but they they have to get get off the Mayflower to get into land to see where you're heading to bring stuff in, and you're in November in waist deep water. A lot of people died, and, and a very common epitaph they would say died soon after they came ashore, meaning they froze their selves off. Then an epidemic, they're, they're, they're on land here, an epidemic hit, they're, it's claiming two to three people a day within 52 weeks or a year of the landing, 102 passengers. Of 102 passengers, 52 of them died. 52, uh, 102 passengers reached Cape Cod, Cape Cod, 52 of them died. Uh, 14 to 26 heads of families, the new governor died, all but four families lost at least one member. Three married couples were left out of... Um, 18 married couples. So you're losing family members. Morale's in the shitter. You don't have a home. You don't have a community. You got to build everything here. You're running out of food. You're running out of beer. This is, I mean, this is really, really hard living. Something that we can't relate to at all. That's why they make better stories for us so we can sort of relate to how we would handle it. They, they, the, what's cool though, and again, this tells you about people who were there before them, they did find land and it was already set up for crops by natives by indians by the locals that were there before they too had been killed by plague like wiped out why is that well their immune systems were different than fishermen and stuff that came over from different parts of the world so the land's there it's ready to be uh used they have a really crappy winter obviously losing so many people to disease but once the spring hits this is in uh, 1621 the death slow uh, and they're running out of stuff, but they need to deal with the locals. The seeds naturally that they brought from Europe were not good here. And um, the birds had been gone for six months. They didn't have the right nets or hooks for the uh, the bass in the streams or for the immense cod that were offshore. Uh, and then in April, so the spring's there. They survived the winter. The Mayflower leaves. Like it's going to go back to England, and everyone's pissed there because that's basically the only shelter that they have. The investors are going to be mad back in England because the ship's returning without the furs and fish they were promised. Um, the shelter's gone. Now the locals are cut off from emergency supplies. They were actually saved 
at some point by locals, by Native Americans, on purpose, sometimes by accident, because they actually found some dried corn that were left by the dead natives that proved to be great seed for the spring that they're in. And a lot of them, according to the logs, admitted they probably would have starved without the seeds. And they, at this point, they had thought that corn, the corn and the seeds were only good to feed their chickens, but now they realize they can grow it and it's good. And they met up with uh, an Indian named Tisquantum, who they called Squanto. You've probably heard of him. He's a famous dude back in the day. He was actually captured uh, as a slave and then brought back to Spain. He escaped there and eventually going through England, got back to New England, and then he discovered that was his tribe that got wiped out. So he's having a pretty shitty time too. But he could speak English because he learned it there being a slave and a prisoner. Just, I mean, this is craziness. Just just happened to go across the ocean a few times, the Atlantic, and you're sailing. But he, he knew how to speak English, so he's the one that taught the locals, the new pilgrims, the Puritans, how to seed and how to fish for eels, which is um, which is really cool. They would, I guess, catch eels with their feet. He taught them how to do this. And what they didn't know, because they probably would have burned them at the stake like they would to the rest of us, is his name, Tisquantum, was actually, in his language, was uh, the Indian spirit of darkness. So Squanto's a bad man. You can tell that. I mean, not a bad man, bad. He's a bad dude. Like, he survived a lot of stuff. So um, he's, uh, he's working as an interpreter, and... The local, the next locals were the um, Wampanoag tribe, and Squanto could uh, translate them. And they actually worked a truce that lasted for fifty years, which is crazy. The birds return, everyone's happy, and um, it's just funny when we're thinking about the start. The the Pilgrims and the Puritans were nothing like us. They would be disgusted by our monuments the same way a lot of college kids these days are, because they would destroy them. They'd burn us and Squanto like witches. Um, but it's all a matter of, uh, it's relative to the way that you look at the world. So we have to look at the pilgrims in a certain, oh, by the way, we haven't even gotten to dinner yet, but, uh, look at the way of the world and how it's relative to us. I, I sent a tweet out a few days ago, what's relative to someone from a different society. Uh, I guess Marco Polo went somewhere, uh, near India or something like that. He was an explorer and he saw a rhinoceros and just, his initial reaction was how ugly unicorns are. <laughs> He'd heard of unicorns, never seen a rhinoceros. That's his frame of reference. We can't relate to them. They can't relate to us. We are not the same. The pilgrims thought that uh, corn was for animals only. They thought that the beer's fine, but they're suspect of the water because people could die from the water, even though the water running there at the time is clean, naturally getting filtered. Uh, they're suspicious of holidays. Like I mentioned, they didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter. It was all too presumptuous. It was all man-made. Praying's done looking up. We pray looking down. And uh, I guess one of their sayings is kind of relative to the way that we would think that what the Puritans would do, uh, the way they lived is do what is right, not decide what is right. So you're doing what's good with God. So they got Squanto. He's a cool dude as far as I can tell. He's interpreting with the with the local tribes um, and um, the Wapanoag. And uh, they're surviving that summer. And then we get into the famous Thanksgiving dinner. So it's time to feast. Some of the people survived uh, the horrible winter. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because just think about like if we survive to Thanksgiving, we'll be good. And Thanksgiving is not where you go buy stuff at the store. It's where, you know, what did you raise? How did you get it? Um, How are your neighbors? How's your family? The ones that are alive and all that stuff. There was even a woman that gave birth on the ship, on the Mayflower on the way over, which... I've never given birth, but I'm assuming they didn't have epidurals or doctors. And the Mayflower sounds bad enough to ride over, but she gave birth to a boy that uh, was born. His name was Oceanus, which is Latin for ocean, which I think is a proper, that's a pretty badass name. Uh, I need to look into whatever came of him. But uh, anyway, they're all there. Uh, They survived the winter. Oceanus did, I think so. And um, And then you have to get into the the true history of when it went down. So they, they got there in 1620 and the following it's not, it wasn't a Thanksgiving, a dinner of Thanksgiving. It was more of a celebration of, of a good harvest. So they're trying to basically grow enough stuff to last through the new England winter and whatnot. So they, um, some books say that it was, um, 1623. I think that they, 
they celebrate, but it was actually 1621 that they they so it, they got there in 1620 in April 1621. The Mayflower goes back to England in 1621 around November. That that's what they're going to celebrate. Some books I think say 1623, which is off. 1620 they did it, and it was uh it was like a celebration of hey we're still here. What are you going to do about it? But the most most entertaining parts of history, unfortunately, are usually bullshit, and they're written by the winner. They want it to be nice again, frame of reference. One of the um, one of the things in history that's that's not. I mean, there's one there, but there it was no Plymouth Rock. They they well, first of all, the Puritans in some of the history books they say they had a pastor that did whatever for the dead. There was they didn't even have a pastor. That's not how they rolled. And then uh, Ye Pilgrim Rock is a sacred rock, but unfortunately it wasn't mentioned. Plymouth Rock wasn't mentioned uh, till 120 years after they landed. So they didn't land on Plymouth Rock either. They probably landed near there, but there was no rock. So even when I've cited it before, I said if the if the world is flooding and the seas are rising, why is Plymouth Rock uh, still at the same level? It turns out I'm full of shit, so maybe Greta Thunberg is right. But it's still cited today as Plymouth Rock, yield sacred rock. And unfortunately, if it's entertaining like that, a lot of us just want to believe it. It's uh, it's easier to believe it, what you want to be true. If something sounds good, you're gonna. And it happens today. People people tend to uh, want to believe it. But the way that the dinner went down is uh, it, at first th- their words. They thought that the the Indians, even though they were sort of negotiating with them, they thought that they were heathens. Uh, so the the chances of them inviting them over probably wouldn't happen, and some some of the stuff that I've read said they just kind of showed up, and and they, it wasn't the first time they did that. I guess the a lot of the tribe would show up like with their entire family stick around and uh, to eat, and to the point where it's like, hey y'all, we're you know I know we're all neighbors, but we're trying to save some for the winter. But according to this, they had um, you know they had a nice big dinner together. But some of the historical stuff that's wrong is there weren't a lot of tables. Because you see the pictures, and it's in a famous poem from like the 1800s. I forget who wrote it. I'm going to kick myself for not remembering. It should be in my notes, but once again, I'm not looking at my notes. But uh, there's pictures of the nice big table and the turkeys. Well, first of all, there were no tables because all of the um, – very few tables. All of the stuff that you needed to build tables could be better used building a house to live in. Um, and this is a point where there were very few knives. They did have some knives for hunting and cleaning and skinning and stuff like that but like forks were a delicacy so they they weren't sitting around cutting a turkey dinner with knives and forks and saying how great the bruins did this year they're basically sitting around on the floor eating with their hands and some of the stuff i read i've let i've been led to the conclusion they were talking about the turkeys had very long legs and were fast as shit my words not theirs so turkeys are fast and they didn't catch a lot of wild turkeys, even though they were plentiful, but it was easy to get geese because they flocked up, you know, right there on the water. And those goofy ass pilgrim rifles that they held with the, the end that looked kind of like a French horn, um, they were heavy. So, you know, you put those on a tripod and you wait by the water and the geese land and you kill the geese. And there's also rumors they were eating pigeons and partridges and swans and eagles. Uh, and I don't think we need to celebrate Thanksgiving with eagles, but even those were difficult to get. So I think based on being in New England, and again, stuff that I've read, I didn't come up with this myself. I'm just trying to make it entertaining. The more realistic thing is they were probably eating fish, mussels, clams, and eels for their celebration of harvest. And and they everything that they ate that wasn't raw, they either um, boiled it or roasted it. So you're not going to, you're not roasting a pumpkin pie on a stick, no fork, sitting on the ground. Um, we still don't know how the um, Wampanoag tribe got there. Like I said, they kind of just showed up because, the, 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 again, what I, what I had uh, read was there was at on one of the barns that the pilgrims made, there was a severed head hanging of, of a native and his loincloth that was dipped in his own blood were up there to ward off the spirits or whatever. And these, I mean, these are, you got to figure this is up in, in, in Massachusetts where, they eventually had the Salem witch trials. So they were very devout in their religion. So hanging a dude's head up there with his loincloth, I guess, kept away evil spirits. I was reading some of the stuff, like some of the bizarre stuff that they did during the witch trials. And I'm going to talk about that um, eventually. But like they, they were not happy people, the Puritans. Not, you don't do anything for fun. It's all about prayer. Their prayer services are like eight hours and stuff, which is great. If 
fine, do it. But they had this one thing that they would make, uh, some bizarre stuff. They made a uh, uh, witch cakes to f- later, not now. They're not doing it while they're eating eel at Thanksgiving, but they would make witch cakes later on, the same people. And that was, you make it with rye bread and the urine of someone who was either a witch or saw the devil and is being chased by the devil and they might be a witch. And then you make the cake and then like you feed it to a dog and then the dog goes and points out who the witches are. <laughs> yeah, you're you're uh, you're breaking new ground there, but uh, it, it sort of remains to be said how the the locals got there. They did sign that truce that lasted for fifty years, which is great. The point of this whole thing was, you know, it is it is good to give thanks for how you got here, and you, I mean, you, I, we're all descendants of someone, and it and. Even even the people in charge, nobody had it easy. Uh, some people had it worse than others. Uh, you know, you got people dying at sea, getting thrown over. You got people that came over. Right now, we have descendants of slaves. Um, we have um, obviously French, Irish, Spanish. We got Africans. Every you know, everyone is a descendant of somewhere. So I think the point that I want to make is that we. Although we do disagree, and there's going to be the Trump Biden argument over the dinner table. It's not. You know, you don't have it that bad, <laughs> I guess. So give thanks for the people around you and try to enjoy. We're, I'm going to talk politics, and obviously we're going to give each other the silent treatment for a solid couple months. But, uh, you know, if um, as long as you're not sitting on the floor and with your hands eating turnips and eel, you're never out of the fight.